2: Hello and welcome to your go-to Detroit Pistons podcast, The Pistons Pulse, co-hosted by me, Bryce Simon of Motor City Hoops, a former D1 Hooper and current teacher, husband, and father of three amazing kids.
1: And I have Omari Stanco for the second Pistons beat writer for the Detroit Free Press.
2: Omari, you are back, my guy. It was so weird the last couple of weeks. I just had a little pause there and then I I just missed having your line in there. So I read it for you. It's funny I it on a podcast last night, Omari, and every time I talk about the podcast and promote it, I say, and my co-host, Omari Sanko for the second, Pistons beat writer for the Detroit. So I've learned your intro along with mine, but man, it's so good to see you back. We're talking pre-episode. You got something going on with the hair. You always give us something a little different. So just kind of let it go during vacation.
1: Yeah. I. Um, if you keep bracing too long, the the tension is bad for your scalp. So you have to allow your hair to just kind of go free for a few weeks. So that's what I'm doing now. I'm getting it reprated Wednesday. I haven't been on here in like three weeks. So I feel like I have to get back into the rhythm after doing, I think 86 straight episodes with no breaks. It's weird. It's good to see you, Bryce. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I don't, I, I don't know your intro. I've done this like 87 times. I, like your intro is so long. A father of three amazing kids uh, and I'm going to have to go back and recite that. If I have to do the show, if I, I'm going to have to have a note card in front of me. Yours is a bit longer, but it's good to be back. It's good to be back. Feels good.
2: And of course, we're always joined by our guy, Wes Davenport, producing everything, making the outline, keeping notes, makes our lives so much easier, keeps things going. You guys heard his beautiful voice last week. So shout out Key Smith. Two weeks ago, guests came on, held it down. And then last week, Wes and Jack Davenport, Wes Davenport and Jack Kelly, sorry, probably not the first time that's happened from DBB Live came on and joined us. But Omari, before we get into today's mailbag and the questions and talking Pistons, let's talk a little bit about you. Every once in a while, we let the listeners go into our lives, get a little bit of insight. You've been on not just vacation from the podcast, Omari, but from the free press in general, right? You haven't been right and you haven't been doing anything. So a couple weeks here, give us a little insight into what's been going on.
1: Yeah, just three weeks of vacation, been off the grid, uh, trying to use Twitter a little bit more minimally and, you know, just completely log off and unwind. So I had some travel. I took, I mean, three straight weeks. That's the longest I've been off in probably a while. I don't know if I took three straight weeks off last year. Uh, So it's been a while since I had that long of a break. But uh, I went to Baltimore, had a buddy who uh, just bought a house down there not too long ago. And, you know, I told him I'd go down there and kick it with him. one of my best friends from college. So I uh, was in Baltimore for a few days. And then we took a train up to New York to kick it with another buddy who just got engaged. You know, like I'm I'm 29. So all my friends are buying houses and getting engaged and whatnot. Like it's it's like that that milestone age. So kicked into New York for a few days. And then the week after that, I went to... Montreal, as those of you following me on Twitter probably know because I tweeted about it a few times. And I just went just to go. Like, I had never been. And I was additionally going to go to Vancouver because I went to Seattle for the first time two years ago and loved it. So Vancouver was just next on that list. And then I realized that, you know, tickets would have been – more expensive, more points, and then three hour time difference and three and a half hour flight, and it was just like Montreal's two hours away, so maybe that's more fun. And Pistons, I'll actually be back there in a few more weeks, so I'm going to be back. Uh, I think uh, they played OKC there, October 11th for 12th, so that'll be fun. But just awesome city, uh, you know, I'm like very strong French culture. Obviously, they they speak French, and the food was great, and uh, they have biking lanes everywhere, which I love as a guy who likes to bike a lot, and just awesome city, awesome city. So I just had two weeks of travel and eating good food, hanging out with friends, rolling dolo in Montreal for a few days, and now I'm back and excited to get to training camp and everything else coming up with the pistons.
2: So I saw that you tweeted about public transportation. So I wanna I wanna get into this just a little bit because so I grew up in a town where this was not necessary, Omari. Like public transportation mm-hmm. wasn't a thing. We don't need taxis, we don't have buses, anything that. But when I went to Washington DC, obviously life changed a little bit. And at that time, anyway, public transportation was really good in the city. The metro is clean and it's nice and it's super easy to use and buses and all of that stuff. And then you go to New York City and I can't figure anything out. Like, it's just so confusing and no disrespect to New York City, but not the cleanest place or anything like that. So I saw you tweeting about Montreal. Like, w- was, was it a super positive public transportation? I know you mentioned the bike lanes. Kind of
1: what was that like? Yeah. So just growing up in Detroit, obviously, the border city, and it's very car dependent here. Uh, we have a bus system, but it's not very reliable and you know, outside of the Q line, which is just a a light rail that goes from New Center to uh, Jefferson downtown and the people mover, which like no disrespect to people mover, but I I don't think I've ever used it to like actually get anywhere. Downtown is pretty walkable, especially now, so I've never had a reason to. But Detroit doesn't really have that type of public transit. And I didn't really think about what that meant until I had an internship in New York, uh, twenty summer twenty sixteen, uh, where I lived there for about three months, and you just get used to taking the subway. I was taking the R from way, way, way south Brooklyn, Bay Ridge, uh, to basically uh, the financial district of Manhattan uh, five days a week, and you get used to just being able to take the train everywhere. You're exploring the whole city. You're, you know, going to different boroughs, seeing what's up you know take the train everywhere and I kind of fell in love with it after a while just being able to walk and take the train everywhere you feel more connected to like where you're living I think socially it really helps cities kind of develop that uh I guess social fabric maybe that you don't see everywhere else like DC has that New York social city and Montreal too and you know and then from there you kind of realize that uh Detroit's car dependence actually has a lot of negatives. Uh, you know, cars are very expensive. You see a lot of people here who drive old, beat up, uh, you know, cars that probably are eight years past, even repairs that they need. But you don't have a choice. You have no choice to get around. And, you know, just look at how streets are developed, how cities are developed around cars, like areas are not walkable. Like, there's a whole list of reasons why public transit is great. But if you go to a city like Montreal, where they not only have the the subways, but they have Biking lanes everywhere. They have a very strong biking culture. People bike to and from work. Like, people are biking everywhere. Uh, it's very walkable. Like, I like I get jealous. Like, that's a really cool... Like, it's just cool. You know, like, you you see the the density of where you're living, like how social people are. And, you know, it's a lot cheaper, obviously. It's a lot easier. You're in better shape because you're walking everywhere. And it's just great. It's just great. So every time I go to a city that has that, it's like, man, I wish I could just hop on my bike and get everywhere. And you have lanes everywhere. You're not fighting traffic. And... Uh, you know, it's walkable. You have the density, so you have stores everywhere. You can get groceries easily. It's just a lot of stuff that comes with it, and uh, Detroit's really lagging in that area. So Montreal, great public transit city, uh, probably better than anywhere I've seen in the United States. So that includes New York just because of the biking lanes. And I'm jealous. I'm jealous. Like, I'll go back in a few weeks, and I want to go back again and just... Uh, just grab a bike and just bike everywhere.
2: It's uh, it's funny. It's the little things, right? That you appreciate yeah. and everybody, you know, everybody goes to a city and they have the different things they look for. It was, it was funny. I got to tell this real quick. So I went to school in DC for a couple of years. My dad had never even flown on a plane until my official visit. Like he essentially lived in Southwest Kansas and that's all he really knew. By the time I was done at American, he would fly out there and then he would just take the Metro around DC, just trying to figure out where he could go. But it kind of speaks to what you were talking about. You you took this, you know, Kansas farmer who's never really been, he yeah. goes to DC and it allows him to go experience the city. Whenever I was at practice going to school and he was visiting me, he would literally just get on the metro and just see where he could go and where he could end up. And he really enjoyed that. So it, it, it kind of struck me when you talked about the public transportation. Well, one more thing, Amari, before we get to the questions. 18 holes of golf. What were you thinking your first time ever golfing? Thinking you could go 18 holes. Whoever took you to do that set you up and I'm not sure they're a true friend of yours.
1: Yeah, so me and my buddy, uh, Ola, who lives here in Detroit, uh, also a big Pistons and Lions fan. Uh, So, shout out to Ola. But he's been golfing, uh, you know, with his uncle. I don't know how long they've been golfing. I know his uncle's been golfing for a while and I think he just started golfing this summer. But uh, I went with them. Uh, I guess it's been two and a half weeks now. It's my first week of vacation. Uh, we went that Friday. And we just went to, to Rouge Park here in Detroit, not that far. But my first time golfing, i never golfed before. I don't have clubs. Like, I don't have anything, but I always wanted to learn. Uh, so he saw me. I was at Jalen Rose's uh, celebrity golf outing. And he was like, oh, well, we got to go. And uh, he was like, do you want to do nine or do you want to do 18? And one of my coworkers earlier in the week was like, and she's like super active. Like she plays soccer and all this stuff. She was like, I did 18 0s of golf and like it wiped me out. And I would say probably like the first nine, like I was okay. Like I was hanging in there. Uh, I'm a horrible golfer, by the way. So I was probably, it took me a lot more swings to get through the course. <laughs> than it took probably everyone else because it's just, I couldn't get enough power under the ball. So I got to go to a driving range and figure out my form and whatnot. But yeah, by the end, it's just like, wow, like this is a workout. Like you don't, like, just watching on TV, it looks so easy, right? But you don't realize that the actual act of swinging the ball still takes energy, and then you're walking, and you still have the cart, but still just a lot of movement involved. And it probably tickets, I want to say, I don't know how long the tickets are now. It, it, it might have been three hours. might have been a little bit longer, but it took us a while to get through the course. So, uh, it's like, I'm embarrassed to admit this. My hip is still a little <laughs> sore because I went from golf to, like, walking all around Baltimore and walking all around New York, and then I had two days in Detroit one of those days which I went on a long bike ride and then I was walking out through Montreal for like four days four or five days so like my hip never really had a chance to recover and I guess this is part of like being like 29 is that like I I, I need to do something with my hip like I don't know what it is but it's just been nagging me for like two and a half weeks like since those 18 holes at golf and I've been struggling a little bit. So it like it was fun. It was fun. But like I I had no clue golf was like that.
2: That's how golf gets you. The first nine holes are fun and you feel good. And then you golf like on the 10th hole and it's like, okay. And then by 12, you're just done. But you have to finish. You can't you can't do 13 holes of golf. That just doesn't make sense. We all know it's nine or 18 or whatever. So we're both in bad shape.
1: Yeah. One more order of business before we get to the questions. I'm sorry about your Chiefs, man. I'm sorry no, no, about no, no, your Chiefs. No, 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 we're not going. Hold shoot. up, what hold happened?
2: up, hold up. We're not going here. Why not? We're, Why not? We're coming back. Why not? Real quick, we're both on the injured reserve because I sent you the video of me playing scout team receiver with my high school team, and I ran like six routes, and I'm gassed and like having a hamstring injury, so I'm on the IR from that. I'm I'm a little bit older than you, and so I can't. We have the same record right now, Omari. No Lions fans should be coming at me right now. And listen. I will not take away anything from the Lions wins. I'm super happy for them. I'm super proud of them. Two of our three best players weren't playing. And you see how good the defense was and how dominant Chris Jones was this week. That's on the Chiefs for not having a contract. I'm not taking anything away from the Lions. All I'm saying is, like, everybody needs to ease up on the Chiefs' hate right now. Like, just just ease up. They're going to be fine.
1: But here's the thing. They lost to the Lions.
2: The the Lions are
1: good. Well, we don't know that yet. We actually don't know that yet.
2: I mean, I think it's better for the podcast if the Lions aren't good because then people will want to watch the Pistons more. And so,
1: but... I, I'm, That's not true. Lions fans are a whole different breed. The the, the Lions could be 0-15. And, <laughs> and they're still going to you know, be fanatics? And the Pistons could be, I guess it would be, what, like 10-11 games to their season at that point, maybe. And it would it would not make any difference at all. Like, Lions fans are an So if the
2: Pistons breed. were 10-0 and 0 and the Lions were one and whatever it'd be, one and eight at that time, where would the majority of like Detroit sports fans, like engine, I know we have just Pistons fans, just Lions fans. Where would the Detroit sports excitement lie? Like where would the energy be? Would it be on the one and eight Lions or the 10 and zero Pistons? It would be the one and eight Lions. Like
1: really? It's just, yeah, Man. it's just like the the football love. It's not even like, that's true for the Tigers. That's true for the Red Wings. It's nothing against the Pistons. It's just So you think the Pistons are, are four or four? No, I'm no, I'm saying oh, like okay. the Lions are number oh, one, okay. I, I, and like Michigan football is probably like number two, and then the other sports. Uh, well, maybe Michigan State's a little bit behind some of those, but the other sports is more so like which team is hot at the time. Uh, maybe the Red Wings have a bigger core fan base just because of the success they had, but I would say nothing is knocking the Lions off of that top perch. If they're like one in ten, and the Pistons are playing pretty well, uh, you may get a small slice of that pie, but just. Most of the attention, sports radio, whatever else, would just be why the Lions so bad after the improvements we saw last year. It would just be, uh, just the attention level would just be com- completely different. Like, I don't think there's anything the Fiskis could do short of, like, I really don't know. I really don't know. Lions just occupy their own space in Detroit. I don't get it. They have not done anything to really earn that, but they have it. And especially this season where the hype is just way higher than it's ever been. In my lifetime, at least, like I just, I just don't know if anything's knocking them off that top spot this season.
2: Yeah, Wes puts in the chat. Detroit loves football. They do. I mean, yeah. I, I will say this: the one thing that came out of that Chiefs Lions game that I wasn't prepared for on Twitter, and I, you know, some people took subtle shots at the Chiefs, and and it is what it is. When you're the Super Bowl defending champs, like that's what's going to happen, and you have the best player in the NFL, that's what's going to happen. I didn't realize even, I'm going to admit, Amari, even from you, some of your tweets, and maybe they were a little bit like, you know, you're just having fun with it. The emotion that came with that win didn't really, that wasn't what I was expecting. That was a huge win for the fan base. It was, it was almost like we've have arrived because it was a Thursday night against the defending champs in their house, national stage. Everybody's watching it. And I guess I just didn't truly understand how excited people were going to be for a 1-0 and start to the season. And so uh, maybe I just don't understand the Lions fanfare yet, but I, I, I kind of laugh. And I, a lot of Lions fans were having fun with it, but did you see the... Who'd they lose to? Um,
1: they lost to the Seahawks. The
2: Seahawks had the blue ski mask in the locker room celebration after the game. So... Yeah.
1: <laughs> Yeah, so here's the thing about the Lions. Uh, In the last season, uh, when they started off bad and then they got good toward the end, and they beat the Packers in their arena, Uh, basically the Lions had nothing to play for. The Seahawks blocked their path to the playoffs late last season. And they had nothing to play for except pride, right? Go to uh, to Green Bay, uh, you know, block Aaron Rodgers from going to the playoffs one last time. And when they won that game, that might be the most gratifying Lions win I have ever seen. So you have to look, I'm almost 30. I've never seen them win a playoff game. They've only been to the playoffs a handful of times in my entire life. So that's just not, there's no playoff game that would rise to the top of like best Lions games in my lifetime. Uh, my dad, I don't even know if there's a game in my dad's lifetime, a playoff game that he would <laughs> rank among the uh, best. Like it's been really bad. And when they beat the Packers, like a team that you have a long history with, obviously both NFC North and they didn't go to the playoffs because of the Lions. That was, like, the Lions Super Bowl. Like, that was, like, the best win we had ever seen them do to have nothing to play for. And then they just go out and completely beat Aaron Rodgers in his last game, uh, you know, for his franchise. And then they opened this season with another one of the best wins I've ever seen. So probably the two best Lions wins I've ever seen are them beating the Packers in their place and then the Chiefs in their place. And that's why I still in my mind 10 days later. Like, I've just been sitting here, like, just arms crossed, just waiting to talk about this Lions-Chiefs game on it's pot. Like, that's just how exciting that that game was. You guys are the defending Super Bowl champs, so I do this in good fun, of course. Like, you guys are okay. You have Mahomes. But that win right there, like, I don't care if they did not pat Mahomes, just to beat the Chiefs on the road is – those were the two best wins I've ever seen. So this is like uncharted waters for the Lions. I don't know what's going to happen. They lost yesterday, but I guess we'll just see. I guess we'll just see. But I'm telling you, that Lions-Packers game – from an excitement scale, it's just—it's just hard for the Tigers and Pistons and Red Wings to reach that level of just care. Like it's just, there's just no late season game for those teams that's going to have those level of states, especially after they're already out of the playoff hunt.
2: Real quick before we go to break and the questions, I got shout out one of my students, Malia's in here, and I've been telling her, hey, like if if so, we're doing this project in school. We have a, a class where we call it Bronx Time because we're the Lincoln Bronx, and they uh, are doing a passion project, something they want to research and learn about that they're super passionate about. And she picked podcasting. And she asked me to be her mentor. I was like, no, Malia, you need to pick somebody way bigger than me. But because of that, I've talked more about the podcast with my students. And every once in a while, I'll like, hear our voices, Amari, during class. I'm like, what are you guys doing? And they'll like turn on the podcast. So I said, hey, if you watch us live, you can ask a question. I'll give you a shout out on the pod. So it 6:50 in the morning here. Like she could still be sleeping here before school. think she has a volleyball game today, but shout out to one of my students and all of my students. Obviously my day job is a teacher. So just wanted to, she asked, she misspelled Cade's name. In fairness, we have a student that that's how they spell Cade, but is Cade Cunningham going to be the goat this year? I think we both have high ex- expectations for Cade Cunningham, Amari. So, um, I just wanted to give her a shout out, all of my students and, uh, yeah, if you're a podcaster listening to this, I got one of my students listening to a mentor. It's something she's passionate about and wants to do eventually. So this kind of ties into a question we have from Dave Dalton later in the episode, but it it is cool to kind of share what I do with my students and sometimes with some of them, give them a little bit of motivation. So wanted to give her a shout out. I know we haven't got into any of the questions yet. Amari, let's go to a short break. When we come back from that, we'll dive into the ones that we got off Twitter and then if you are watching us live this morning, dump those in the chat and we'll get to those as well. We'll start that off right after this.
0: Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left.
1: All right. Back here with segment two. And first of all, shout out to Malia, a big milestone. I want to embrace the students of the pie. I don't think that's happened yet. So I uh, appreciate your, your question. And we will talk Kate Cunningham, I'm sure, a lot today. Uh, so lead up from Dave Dalton, how much access will Amari have to Piston's training camp? It would be fascinating to get updates on the battles for spots, the rotation, the starting positions. And basically, you know, we have, we kind of start off with like a media day where we talk to just about everybody on the team in like press conference fashion and then from there it's just uh, pretty much the same as it is during the season where you don't watch the actual practice but you watch the individual workouts they do after practice and then of course you talk to the coach and whatever players after practice as well so we're not actually watching the drills that take place during the practice uh, but you know we can get hints of kind of what took place after just based on some of the skill work and Obviously talks to uh, we talked to Monty and whatnot about what happened that day and everything else. But we don't watch practices live. So I think that's something that people don't always understand. We don't we don't watch that stuff live at all. I don't think any NBA teams open their practices to the media. And actually, that's just a pretty rare practice in general, Uh, even like college basketball. Like Izzo allows his media, like he allows Michigan State media to watch his practices. And even when I was at the State News like eight, nine years ago, like he was like the only Division one coach, one of the only ones who did that. So in general, like just as media people, we just watch uh, what's allotted to us at the end and not the actual practice.
2: Yeah, that's the couple times I've got to be around it. I think the summer league, you know, we got in there and essentially, I think they let us in right at the very end. There was still a little bit of five on five going and it may have just been a random game that got started, but most of what we saw was guys just shooting around after practice and, you know, that was it. And then you get a chance to talk to them, like, say, so, a lot of what you're getting access to is just the interview questions and you know you can walk around to the different players and find that stuff out. I do think, I, I want to touch on the second part. I do think these battle for spots and rotations and starting positions, I do think that'll be interesting to follow. I think that's going to be a real thing, Omari. And maybe we've had one or two here and there throughout the last four seasons but or three seasons, but this is something that will be real with this season where I think there's some real things up in the air maybe not necessarily in the starting lineup. And I know we have a question about that in here in just a second, but who is in the second unit? Who's in the rotation? Who's completely out of the rotation? I do think that's something that will truly be fun to track throughout training camp. You know, of those bigs, who's the front runner? Who's second? Who's third? Who's panning out the most at the guard rotation? So I do think more than any year, it seems like this stuff is going to be a real storyline.
1: And I wouldn't be surprised if we don't have any real clarity a lot of those battles until like the opening day of the regular season, unless there are just some clear cut, you know, 10 11 guys who are just clearly above the rest of the pack. I can see some of these battles even extending into the regular season. Uh, you know, just because one, uh, coaching staffs, uh, you, and we don't know how Monty operates as far as this yet, but you're not always going to get uh, the, f- the full picture of where certain rotation battles are. You know, if the coach maybe wants to light fire under, under a certain guy or there could be a lot of reasons why, but they're not always going to be forthcoming with that. But I think along with that, uh, this year probably has the most uncertainty, the most lineup uncertainty we've had. Certainly since I started covering the team, this will be my fourth full season covering the Pistons. But probably even before that, uh, you know, stuff to say how backup point guard would shake out. You know, is there room for, you know, uh, Killian and uh, Marcus Sasser in the rotation? Uh, You have the wing rotation. Like how does Joe Harris fit into everything? So there's a lot of battles that I think, it wouldn't shock me to see changes as late as like November, even maybe early December, even depending on how well guys play. So that'll be an ongoing thing throughout the season.
2: All right. This is from our guy, Stephen Gillespie over at No Ceilings. If you're into the NBA draft, they have great coverage over there. Steven's my guy. We talk every couple of days about the draft and prospects and the NBA in general. And he says, what has to happen to make a lineup featuring Asar Thompson and Jalen Duran work for Detroit? So, I think the heart of this question, Omari, is these are essentially two non-shooters on the floor at the same time. My feeling, Omari, is both of them are good enough passers. I believe Asar is going to be a really high-level passer. I think Jalen Duran could be a really high-level passer for his position as well. So I think because of that, you can absolutely make it work, Omari. But I do think you have to be smart about the floor spacing around them. I don't think you can have another complete non-shooter, maybe even not a questionable catch-and-shoot guy around those two. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I agree. No, I think just from a playmaking standpoint, uh, you're, you're set. Both of those guys should be plus passers for their positions. But you you do need spacing. So during being your five there, uh, I think at the four, if Isaiah Stewart's so could on threes, I could three, so work. If not, then you probably have to go with Bogey or Isaiah Livers. And then at the two, Ivy was actually pretty good on catch and shoots last season. So, you know, like, like I probably work with Ivy and I think we both believe that Kate would be a good shooter. So, Ivy, Kate, that backcourt probably works, but maybe you want to get Monte Morris, you know, in for one of those guys just because... He's one of the best shooters on the roster, or Alec Burks. So you still have some versatility, I think. But those other three guys absolutely have to be knockdown shooters for that lineup to work. I
2: agree. And I think where that lineup is kind of exciting, long-term, Omari, and where you're probably banking on it really working is defensively, right? Like a Thompson is going to be your primary perimeter defender, can take a lot of matchups. And then if Jalen Duran turns into a true rim protector, anchor of the defense, you're ideally really good defensively with those two on the floor. And so I'm not saying you don't need the offense to work. Obviously, the offense has to work. Maybe you have to play a little bit faster. But if they're really, really good defensively, then obviously that helps things out. This is from longtime supporter Jeff Koenig. Do you think Monty will mix and match starting lineups from the start to see what works? Or do you think he already has a plan and wants to build consistency in chemistry, only tinkering with the bench? I think this is an interesting one. We talked about it just a little bit, a second second ago, Amari, do you think he's going to say, hey, I think these are our five guys and let's just build this and really get a flow? Or do you think he tinkers throughout the preseason and all the way up to game one?
1: I think a lot of it just comes down to the roster and how well guys perform. Uh, You know, like I would think center could be a pretty straightforward equation rotationally. If I mean, you have during if Isaiah Stewart played four or five. And then obviously you have two other bigs and James Wiseman and and and, and Marvin bagley. Yeah, uh, you know, I would assume they probably don't have room for all four in a rotation if you wanna have adequate shooting out there. Uh, so one of Bagley or Wiseman are seeing the floor every night, uh I, I mean I think that's that's pretty straightforward, just the better of the two. If they both come in and, and crush it, then I'll think that obviously makes things a lot more difficult. You know, same for the guard rotation. I think we could all assume Cade, Ivy, uh, Burks, and Monte Morris will be in their rotation. But if Killian comes in and he has a killer count, knocking down threes, moving the ball, defending, or Sasser comes in to do those same things, that's a little bit more of a, a tougher e- equation, I think. Uh, the wing rotation, there's a Sargo to be ready. You know, Joe Harris, is he going to bounce back after being injured last season? So there's just a lot of, I think, unknowns right now that makes it tough to... Uh, forecast what Monty will do. But, again, you have k you have Ivy, uh, you have a handful of guys who just seem like clear-cut starters already, so maybe you're not mixing and matching them as much. It's just the auxiliary pieces. Uh, you know, Asar Thompson earn a starting spot if he comes to the camp and kills it like he did in summer camp. But uh, you want to prioritize shooting, maybe you just stick with Bogey there. Maybe Joe Harris makes a name for himself. So, a lot of that just comes down to how will guys perform? So maybe we can revisit uh, after that first week of camp, first two weeks of camp, and kind of see where things are from there.
2: And I think next week, the loose plan was to do uh, all lineups episode. And I think that's still on the docket for next week or very soon where we say, okay, what's the all athletic lineup? What's the all shooting lineup? What's the end of the... So we'll get really deep into the lineups here very soon. Also from a coaching's perspective, just for me, I always like to get my five guys and then build chemistry and not tinker with things too much. Now, I do think kate and ivy are the backcourt durin is the center and i think you have a couple different options of what you do combination wise at the three and four i could see monty just saying hey i'm gonna go bogey and isaiah stewart and that's gonna be our starting five and then just figure out what the second unit is and maybe that's where you have a little bit more changes i think you could also see this team change the starting lineup on a nightly basis Wes has been a fan of this. I've tweeted this out. Others have. I don't know that we've really talked about it, Omari. I've said, why not start Asara at the three and Bogey at the four? And a lot of people come back at me, well, what about when you play Cleveland? What about when you play the Knicks and the matchups? Well, then don't start that lineup on those nights. Put Osar on the bench and start Isaiah Stewart and bogey at the three. And I'm okay with that. I, I think that's what's nice about this roster as it's currently constructed is you can do some of that. You have the three stalwarts, but then you can change some things based on the matchup. Do, do you agree with that? You think that's maybe something we could see or at least make sense to you based off how the roster is right now?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's no reason to have a, a, a deep bench if you're not going to tap into it and mix and match based on uh, lineups and, and matchups and whatnot. And of course, some teams like New York, you're going to have to have a different strategy compared to what seemed like Golden State, where it's more so chasing guys around and not you know trying to match up in the paint as much. So... Uh, you know, absolutely. I would, I, w- I would think Monty would look to match here and there. Uh, you know, unless Isaiah Stewart is like your full time four and he's handling everything you need from him defensively knocking out threes, maybe that simplifies things. But even going back to, uh, Asar and Bowie starting, and I've mentioned this on the pod, I'm pretty sure, but I think Asar could even work as a small ball four, uh, because of his weak side rim protection that we've seen, because he's an excellent rebounder for a size, a seven foot wingspan he could probably play a lot bigger uh, than his listed height which is six, six Uh I would not be surprised if we could see him in some small ball four just depending on matchups.
2: Yeah, let's say, and it all comes to matchups. You don't want to do that against Cleveland where he has to guard Evan Mobley, right? But you can do it against other teams that play a little small, smaller. Uh, Tone, you asked, do you think Weaver stays out of Monty's way this season? I know you're still in the chat here and appreciate you tuning in. G- give us a little more clarity. exactly. I assume you're talking about like forcing the two big lineup on him or something, but give us just a little more clarity on that and then from caleb amari Hey, good morning guys welcome back amari i'm curious either of y'all are going to montreal for the preseason game caleb right at the beginning i think amari you mentioned you will be there for that one and that one's against okc
1: i will be there i appreciate the welcome back caleb and yeah i will i will be there in a few weeks uh, for that okc game so uh, looking forward to getting back Uh, i mean again it's a really fun city and uh just happened that I went before the Pistons announced that preseason game. So it'll be gonna be fun to get back out there.
2: So we we're just talking about Asar Thompson. This is from the pushline brand. I've seen similarities to Scottie Pippen in Asar. Has anyone else seen that? I will say early in the draft process when we brought Matt Babcock on, I think he compared a men to Scottie Pippen, but those guys have similar. Like, Amin is still more on-ball than Asar, and Asar's a little better defensively. Like, there are definitely differences between Amin and Asar, even though they're twins, but, like, I think it still applies. So, yeah, the, we've talked Andre Iguodala. Maybe Scottie Pippen is the absolute ceiling, right? A little more on-ball juice, a little more scoring juice, you know, not, I mean, Andre Iguodala had a 20 point per game season. We talked about this at Summer League that, you know, you compare star to Andre Iguodala and fan bases get upset. And it's like, no, that's very much a compliment that Andre Iguodala is the comp. So yeah, I think Scottie Pippen is in that same realm of this, best defender or at least best perimeter defender on your team. And then if he can do that offensively, that's an incredible outcome, obviously, for Asar. I don't know if he I don't think I necessarily believe he reaches that. But yeah, you're kind of in the same realm of archetype of player.
1: I would say so. Uh it's funny because Scottie Pippen is not a name you hear compared to often when it yeah. comes to players, but I mean I see it if you're just looking at the primary secondary playmaking, the defensive upside, the rebounding uh of course, I would think Scotty was 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 great at a great athlete too. I mean, you do see similarities with Asar. Um, you know, I don't know if I would go with the Scotty Pippa comparison. I think uh, Scotty was actually probably a little bit bigger than Asar, but but you look at just any uh, you know wing who can really defend, uh, run the offense, do all those things, and I would say Scotty's probably in those range of comparisons for Asar.
2: Yeah, and I am really interested to see how much they do use Asar as a ball handler. I know he can do it as a secondary guy. I'm interested with some second units later in the season if they start to use him a little more on ball. Quick shout out to our guy, Doug McMiniman. He's always turning into the show. Morning, guys. Avian Follow from the hospital getting tests done this morning. Hope everything is okay with you, Doug. And whatever tests those are, they come back positively. This is from Michael Crow. If Wiseman doesn't beat out Bagley or Dern in training camp, do you think we might sign a vet as a backup center and let Wiseman play 30 minutes a night in the G League? I feel like his combination of talent and and experience is exactly what we should be focused on there. Man, Michael, like, I feel like if James Wiseman doesn't beat these guys out, like... I feel like it's just. The, I don't see James Wiseman going and playing in the G League. That's just what I'll say, Omar. Like I, I don't, I don't think James Wiseman would do it. Like I, I could literally tell him that see him telling the team, like, no, I'm not going to go play in the G League. If he doesn't beat those guys out, if he doesn't have a rotation minutes or anything, I think he just becomes a free agent and. You know, somebody probably takes a chance on him, but it's a tough road for Wiseman if, if he can't get minutes for a GM who seems to really believe in him, in my opinion. I think Weaver's going to give him a chance.
1: I would be surprised to see him in the G League when you have a guy coming into year four. Uh, if he's still not cracking your NBA rotation, I just, you know, question what having him play G League minutes kind of does at that point, especially when you are going to have to make some sort of commitment or not commit to him at all. Uh, coming up next summer, uh, you know, you are not going to play thirty minutes a night in the G League all season, and then, like you know, at, at that point, if you want to know he's a rotation player, you probably just let, let him walk, honestly, uh, or see if maybe somebody would trade for him at the the deadline. I don't see the G League as an outcome, but you know, obviously, that's one of the storylines of the season, right? They traded for James Wiseman last trade deadline. Obviously, a crowded front court. And would that opportunity be there for him to audition himself the way he needs to before he hits the market next summer? Uh, you know, I think that's very much up in the air. And a lot of it comes down to Wiseman's own improvement, I think, particularly on defense. Uh, so he can really make a name for himself in camp. Uh, but if he doesn't beat out Bagley, then, you know, at that point, I think the organization probably just kind of looks beyond right. You know, I don't; they have not used the G League for... Uh, you know, like former first round guys or guys in that category outside of injury situations. And I don't expect that to change unless Matzi just has a completely different philosophy compared to Dwayne Casey.
2: So rounding back to Tone here, he said Weaver made Casey advertise players for trading purposes. Will Monty be able to coach to win instead of coaching to showcase talent? Like I'm just gonna tackle the will Monty be able to coach to win? I'm just going to say yes. I I do think there's still some patience. I think there's a reason it's a six-year contract that potentially turns into an eight-year contract. But I do think that this team is at a point where they are going to try to win games. I don't know how many that turns into. I think that still a lot depends on the growth of Cade and Jaden and Jalen. But you have veterans right now. If... If they would have traded on Omari in the offseason, I may would think a little bit differently about this. But I think they've assembled a roster. It's not perfect by any means. If it was perfect, we'd be talking playoffs. But I think they've assembled a roster and they're in a place now with their young talent where you might as well go try to win as many games as you can. And not to get too much into NBA draft stuff, Omari, this draft isn't great at the very top right now. So to me, if you win a bunch of games and have the 10th pick, I think you're perfectly fine with the 2024. There is no Victor Wimbenyama. There's no Scoot Henderson. And right now there's not even a Brandon Miller. Like all of those guys would be the number one prospect in this draft. Now that could change. It changed for Brandon Miller last year during the process. But I think this is the ultimate. There's no reason to tank. There's no reason not to go win as many games as you possibly can. And so because of that, and because of what happened last year, I think we see this team go try to win as many games as possible.
1: Yeah, they didn't make Monty Williams the uh, second highest paid coach in the NBA, highest paid coach at the time of the signing uh, to not go out and try to win next season. Uh, you know, I don't think they're going to try to speed the process up. Like they're not going to go and um, you know do anything too you know drastic to mortgage their future. But I do think that Monty will be coaching to win. You know, I think this is really year three or year four of the rebuild, uh, depending on if you want to market uh, during Weaver's first season or. Uh, when they parted ways with Blake Griffin. And either way, uh, you have guys who are going to be in line for extensions next season. They've already extended Isaiah Stewart. Uh, you know, Cade would be year three, uh, Ivy year two. Uh, you have a lot of good vets on the roster. Uh, it just have to strike me as the situation. Um, you know, especially early on, I don't know how often teams are advertising guys for trading purposes, you know, in November and December, um, you know, unless they're just completely over a guy. But I expect Monty will be closing to win and I expect that they're going to try to compete to make the play in our playoffs next season.
2: Yeah, and Tony, you say uh, Weaver only has reason to tank to keep his draft. I think the draft pick's still top 18 protected for another season. And so, like, you don't have to tank that hard to keep that pick this year. This was a really fun question. So let's get to this, Amari, before we go to our second break. This is from Yo-Yo. He says, or she says, Rank these by most likely starting lineup shake up to start the season. Liver starting... Double big lineup with either Wiseman or Bagley at the four next to Durin. So, Stewart doesn't count in this double big lineup. It's Wiseman or Bagley with Durin. Alec Burks or Monte Morris breaking the starting lineup or Asar starting over Boyan. Which one of those things, and Wes has it up here on the screen for us to make it a little easier, which one of those is most likely to happen in your opinion, Amari?
1: I would go with four, Asar starting over Boyan. Uh, just one, Boyan, I think is 34 years old. And if Asar is a really great camp, uh, they could just look to say, okay, we'll just bring Boyan off the bench in like a super sub role and kind of jumpstart that offense early with Asar's defense and playmaking, especially if Isaiah Stewart's really shooting the ball well and you know that you could have three shooters on the floor with, along with Ivy and K, and, then and and that probably makes it a lot easier to start Asar. So that's probably the one I would, you know, if I were a betting man in this scenario that I I I would put my money on. Uh, Number two, I would go with Isaiah Livers starting. I can see him having a really good camp. And if Isaiah Stewart's not shooting the ball well and you just need that spacing, I think Livers is probably a natural candidate to start at the four, Uh, you know, just with his connective tendencies, right? Defender, keep the ball moving. Uh, Obviously shooting the three. I'll go with that one. Uh, Three... You know, I would actually, like, I don't really feel that strongly between double-big lineup and Burks and Mate starting just because I would be surprised. Well, okay. When we say double-big... Stewart doesn't count. Stewart doesn't count. Yeah. So that, so that means Bagley or 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 what? So I will probably just go with Burks or Mate starting just because, like, maybe, you know, Ivy or K, I mean, knock on wood, and maybe they have some minor injury that keeps them out the first week of the season or something, and you just want to get one, one, one of the veterans in there. So I could see that. Double-big lineup, I would be really surprised to see Duren starting alongside Wiseman or Bagley instead of Isaiah Stewart or Livers. I'd just be really shocked to see it. And it would mean that Wiseman or Bagley decided absolutely killer count and are probably shooting the three pretty well too. And I just, I, I, I would be surprised to see that. I think it would just have to a lot of things we have not seen happen would have to happen for that to kind of play out.
2: Yeah, so I think I'll go with number four as well. Although I think Asar starting with Boyan is more of the scenario I see. But if they really believe in Stewart's three-point shooting and it is there, then it would still make sense. And then that second unit is a lot of fun with a lot of veterans that can really score the basketball. I think that that second unit, with it would be Monty, Burks, Boyan insert livers or whoever and then Bagley or Wiseman it could be a lot of fun there so I think that's still number one for me I actually you made me feel better what you said right there with the double big lineup I have that a little higher because I think there is a chance that they do do that I just, my gut tells me they believe in Wiseman and they're really going to give Wiseman a chance to show whatever he is capable of and then I'll say this My guy, Sam Bassini, our guy, Sam Bassini, Game Theory Podcast, he has brought up the idea of Burks or Monte Morris starting with Cade and Ivy even. And essentially, I know a lot of Pistons fans don't like this, but playing Cade at the three defensively, not offensively, but defensively, and both of those guys can stretch the floor. So that might be a little more likely I'm not saying he has any intel at all. I'm just saying that's something that Sam has brought up quite a bit. So yo-yo, this was an incredible question, was a lot of fun. We probably could have dove into it even longer if we had time, but we do gotta go to a short break. We got some questions in the chat. We got some questions on the outline from Twitter. We'll go through all of those right after this.
0: Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: All right, back with segment three. And we can lead off with a question from Bump Freak here. Uh, what are the odds that Cade, Jalen, and Asar are into three or four years? Thanks, guys. So the thing about this question is that it's really a question of how many guys are going to get max contracts and the order of that because Cade will be due up first and then Ivy and Duran and then Asar, right? So if we assume, I mean, all signs are pointing to Cade having a big year three. Uh, if we assume that Cade gets that max extension in a year, Uh, the question then is, does Ivy get a max the year after? And I mean, that's still very much TBD, right? He had a good rookie season, but you know, I don't know if he's like a no brainer max guy quite yet. Maybe it's a Jalen Brown scenario where you just pay him a lot just to retain him and you're banking on him making that leap a year or two into the extension. But a lot of that I think just comes down to what Ivy gets in year two. And then from there, if you have two max guys and Cade and Jaden, uh, you know, obviously you're probably not going to be able to pay uh Duren and Thompson at that point. So it comes down to their own development. And, you know, if they're max guys as well, or if you can get them a little bit cheaper. Uh There's like a lot, I think that's a play out, but I think a lot of it just comes down to uh, Ivy and, and like what he's due for that extension in 2025. Where is he at? Does he get a max or not? And even beyond that, if Ivy is a max guy and you have K, you have a star who replicates of what Ivy gives you, do you just say, well, maybe we need to prioritize Durin because we're not going to be able to get his caliber of athlete and rim protector on the rock, on, on the market. And we just have to figure out something else with Ivy. So that's a good question, by the way, a really good question. But I think a lot of that hinges on Ivy uh, in 2025.
2: Yeah, really good question. That's, I think that's a really good point. A lot of this, I mean, it, it starts with Cade. Cade has to be the guy. We talked about this at Nauseam. We talked about this a little bit last week. We kind of randomly fell into you know, ranking what's the most likely number two option next decade, you know, two or three years from now. So it's the same idea. If Jaden is that guy, then I think that kind of answers it. If Jaden's not, then do you have to package two or three of these? I would say, like, to me, it's under 25% that all four of them are on there. Cause if they're all four yeah. stars, you probably can't pay all four. No like the scenario where it happens is they all fit in exactly into the type of role you need them to where Kate and Jaden are stars. Durin's a really good big, but doesn't demand a max. Asar is this connective tissue, but again, doesn't demand a max. And you can find a way to fit it all together. Plus, you know, the salary cap is going to continue to jump. And so maybe things hit just right. But I still just, I think that's a perfect world. And I don't know that that always happens, you know, just the right way. And so I would say it's less than 25% that all four are. And that sucks because I like all four of these guys. And I do think it's a fun young core. I just don't think there's a great chance that that's how it plays out. Now, this is from MP5. He says, Amari, who would you guys pick to crack the rotation that doesn't start the season with minutes? So he's essentially saying if you had a 10-man rotation, who's the guy that gets into the rotation later? His four that were out of the rotation were Killian, Sasser, Joe Harris, and Wiseman. I don't know if you would agree with those four. Maybe you have different guys kind of out of the rotation to start the season. But is there a guy who you think starts out and then comes back into it?
1: I would go with Marcus Sasser, I think, in that scenario. I think a lot of that depends on you know just where the Pistons are in March right are you looking to the lottery at that point and winding guys down or are you doubling down on a playoff push you know if you're winding down you're out of the playoff race then yeah maybe you wind down Montse and Alec Burks and that just opens room for Sasser to go out and prove himself but I think you know when they traded to get him in the first round uh, they obviously regard him very highly I think him being a 23-year-old guard, you just look at the trajectory for those types of guards. And typically, they tend to be ahead of the curve compared to most rookies. And then his skill set, being the knockdown shooter that he is, could even create his own three. And then uh, was a really great perimeter defender as well. Can handle some secondary playmaking. I just think he's a very natural fit. Pretty much next to all the guards um, on, on the roster. I don't think there's a single guard he can't play next to. So a lot of that just comes down to his own level of readiness and the extent that the roster can accommodate a fourth, a, a fifth guard, I mean, if needed. But I think Sasser has a lot going for him. And if he can knock down shots and defend, I think he could work his way into that conversation.
2: I think that's probably the right answer there. Again, if it was these guys, I would say, well, I just think Wiseman's going to get a chance at some point. So if it's not happening at the beginning of the year, I think it happens by the end. I think it's going to be the other way. I think Wiseman will be in the rotation and Bagley will not. And I think eventually Bagley would get in there. Livers is another guy who I personally think isn't going to be in the rotation early. So maybe he gets one. Like This probably comes down to some sort of injury or you do have four veterans on essentially expirings. Boyan is just non-guaranteed after two million. And so some of those guys probably get traded. So if Sasser looks like he's ready to play, you trade Burks at the deadline and then Sasser gets in there and he gets those minutes. So uh, I think Sasser is a good call there. These next two can kind of go hand in hand. From our guy, Richard Brooks, what will Detroit do with that 15th roster spot? And then from MP5, do you think Troy makes another move? And if so, who would you go for if you're Troy Weaver? And so I'm just going to give you the names of current free agents right now, Omari. Some of the guys at the top, this is based off how much money they were making last year. Will Barton, Kelly Oubre, Hamadou Diallo, Kendrick Nunn, George Hill, Justice Winslow, Kevin Knox, Austin Rivers, Markeith Morris, Blake Griffin, TJ Warren, this is all via Spotrak, Rodney Magruder. Like, I don't know that there's a whole lot of names out there that make a ton of sense. I would bring Homie back if he wanted to come back. There also are a few teams, and we've talked about this with the Thunder, that have more than 15 players on their roster and eventually are going to have to waive those guys um, we've already seen them with a couple do that with a couple. So I, I think there are some interesting names out there, but I don't know that there's a major move that the fan base was looking for. I think a lot of people still want to see a trade to kind of shore up the four spot. And I don't know that we're going to see that at this point. I think I've kind of waned on thinking that's something that will happen.
1: Yeah, first of all, the NBA is clearly ready for expansion because you have a lot of guys who are still free agents who are like legit NBA players, like... Biambo was good for Phoenix last year. I mean, we saw Hami Hami was good for the Pistons. Uh, you mentioned the guys who were going to be cut by OKC. I mean, there's like a lot of good players who are going to be on the market. And, uh, you know, we see those Seattle and Vegas rumors wrapping up. But this is like the league's never been in a better spot to expand than now, I think, just when you look at the depth of talent in the league. Or maybe somebody would bring up the 80s. I don't know. I wasn't alive back then. In my lifetime, this is the deepest the talent ever been. Uh, but I would say... Just having that flexibility, I think, makes sense, uh, you know, of the names who are available. None of those names are like players who feel a clear need. Like if you want a veteran big, maybe you could go with Biombo. But, you know, for the most part, I think death-wise the Pistons are in pretty good shape. So you can leave that roster spot open for a trade. You know, if you still want to make a roster balancing move for the season starts, you know, obviously that gives you a lot more trade flexibility. It just gives you flexibility. You know, I don't think they necessarily need to go out and get another guy in free agency. You can just go into the season with that spot. You know, maybe it comes in handy if you're going to make something happen at the deadline or whatever it may be. I just think that there are clear advantages to, the, to just leaving that spot open. So you know, I don't know if they're going to do anything with it. It just comes down to the trade market. You know, if OKC cuts somebody that they're interested in, there's a lot of variables there. But I think it just makes sense to maintain that flexibility until something comes up that just makes complete sense to give that roster spot up for.
2: Well, another thing that's still kind of just in the balance is the Damian Lillard trade, right? So, you know, it sounds like the James Harden stuff is cooled and he's probably going to start camp with the Sixers is what it sounds like. But I think a lot of people are waiting on the Damian Lillard thing. You know, my theory is Kelly Oubre thinks he's going to the Miami Heat once they trade multiple players to bring in Damian Lillard and have open roster spots. I feel like that's what Oubre is waiting on. and so. But part of that trade is maybe you have a singular player that needs moved to another team because the Blazers don't want them or the Heat don't have a rot, you know, whatever it is. And so just having some flexibility with an open roster spot like that, you could get involved and maybe it's as simple as a second round pick. Maybe it's something more. Maybe it's a player you really want. But there's still some moves out there within the NBA, Damian Lillard being the, the main one that could be used for that and tone real quick I want Marvin Bagley to play I just don't think he's going to play so like that whenever maybe I need to be more clarifying when I talk about that I would love for him to play over James Wiseman I'm a bigger fan of Bagley than Wiseman right now I just don't think the team is from Rocky our fan supporter and fan from Australia he had a question early this morning I believe it's like it's nighttime over there, I believe. But what happens if Killian goes off to start the season and in training camp? What happens with the rotation, et cetera? So, you know, we talked about this kind of a little bit of a crowded backcourt. I think both of us think Hayes and Sasser are out of the guard rotation right now. Omari, Cade, Ivy, Burks, and Monte Morris. What if Killian comes in, rejuvenated, knocking down shots, playing defense, looking good? My my comment is great. You know, let him play, let him cook. Trade Alec Burks, whatever. Like You can find minutes for him if he's doing that. I'm not counting on it, but I think it's a great situation. The more talent you have, the better. And you can find a new home for Alec Burks or, shoot, even Monte Morris. We talked about he may be one of the best second-unit point guards in the NBA. I'm sure somebody would love to have him if Killian is truly that good.
1: Yeah, I think that opens up a lot for you if Killian comes in and he's good. Because at that point, it's like, okay, now we have another guard who can defend And if he's really lighting up camp, you know, I assume he's also knocking down threes at a high rate, which obviously you would you would love to see. Uh, So great situation for him, and great situation for the Pistons to have that added flexibility, to have that added defense, ball handling, playmaking, uh, everything that comes with that. Uh, Great situation, I think. have Evans' work cut out for him figuring out which four or five guards he plays every night, or if he plays five guards every night, even Uh, maybe that does open the door for Cade to play a little bit more. Three, you're playing small more often to accommodate all the guards you have and going into the trade deadline. I mean, if Killian's still playing really well up until that point, uh, as you mentioned, you look at trading Alec Burts, you know, for something, or Monte Morris, or if you just want that flexibility next season, you could even look at shopping Killian, you know, as value goes up. You know, maybe you flip them to a team at the deadline and just get what you can for him because you already have Sasser and, uh, you know, Ivy and Kane and it just doesn't make sense to commit to a, a, another guard long term. So that, I think, opens up a lot of options for the Pistons as far as what they can prioritize at the trade deadline and going into the next season where you double down on this young core. Do you open up that flexibility to make additional moves and maybe address some roster deficiencies you don't have right now? So... That would be awesome for the Pistons, also for Killian. Of course, he's had ups and downs over his first three years. A lot of questions, I think, from that point, but overall, a net positive for everybody involved.
2: All right, we got two more questions. One here from Doug. What three things is Amari looking for in training camp as a sign of Monty's approach and potential season success? So I don't know if you can come up with three here on the spot, Amari, but kind of what what do you look for training camp? You know, we talked about earlier, you don't really necessarily get to watch practice, but even from a beat writer perspective, you know, I feel like Coach Casey was super open and to questions and all of that. I don't know how much you've got to really talk to Monty so far. It's a whole new staff. There's a few new players. Are there any players you're interested to interview for the first time or kind of just the different dynamics that comes with a new coaching staff? Because it is going to be different even for you, like doing your actual job as a beat writer and the access you get and those type of things.
1: Yeah, I would say three things I'm just looking for in general uh, with a new staff, you know, obviously players stepping into new roles. Uh, one I mean, we talked about it was just the ro- rotation. What does Monty prioritize? Does he prioritize defense? Does he prioritize floor spacing? Uh, you know, to what extent do players allow him to maybe value one or, the, or over the other? And a lot of that comes down to just the development of the players. But you know, I think those early preseason games would cue us in on kind of where Monty's thinking as far as that. Uh, how deep could his rotation go? Maybe he goes eleven deep just because he has. So many players who are deserving of playing time, or maybe it just varies every night depending on matchups. So, I guess one, uh, just talking to him in training camp, talking to players, just figuring out where he is as far as his ro- rotation. I think, along with that, and this is two, is just overall pecking order of the the team. I mean, you expect Kate to be the alpha dog, but if Ivy comes in and really kills it, you know, maybe he makes that a, more of an interesting conversation where he's more of your lead attacker on offense and Kate's more of the you know, auxiliary kind of playmaking defense, just plug all, all the gaps guy. Um, you know, Isaiah Stewart, you know, is he going to be full-time four? Will we see him play some small ball five? Because uh, you could easily, I think, just stick with Stewart and Duran. As your fives, you know, you may not even need to play Bagley and, and Wiseman there uh, if you just value Isaiah's defense and force racing so much. And then that opens up more time for maybe a Joe Harris or an Asar or a uh, bogey, like whoever else, just in those three and four spots. Uh, and then three, I would just say in general, um, just getting to know some of these guys uh, I think I've talked to everybody on the roster at this point no I take that back I don't think I've not talked to Joe Harris yet so it'd be cool to get to know him a little bit I talked to Monte Morris when he had his event in Flint uh, like last month uh, which which was awesome but obviously he's a Flint guy uh, you know had a great history here in Michigan uh, great career here in Michigan in high school and uh, you know it just seems like an overall good guy so it'd be cool to get to know him a little bit more uh, just having Kate back in general, right? Just how does that affect the pecking the picking order going all the way down? Because we haven't seen him play since last November. Have we talked to him since then? But, you know, obviously just not as much since he's kind of been in the background more rehabbing. Uh, so off the top of my head, I would say those things are probably the ones that stand out the absolute most. And then, of course, what does Asar a fit into? I mean, he had a really good uh, summer league. Like, does that carry into training camp? And all the signs have been good so far. So just off the top of my head, those are probably the things I'm most interested in going into training camp in a couple of weeks. All
2: right, last one. And I guess this is a little bit more geared towards me, but you can add your perspective in as well, Omari. This is from Dave Dalton. He says, as a high school coach and AAU coach for 45 years, I was wondering if the fame and fortune from being on podcasts and analyzing the draft is more rewarding than making a difference in the lives of young people. You do a great job. One, I'll say, I don't know that there's a whole lot of fame. I don't think I'm famous. Um, fortune, I will say the free press takes care of me and I appreciate them very, very much. Thank you. But I, I, it's not like it's my only job. You know, I'm still a teacher. That's still my day job. So I will say this, Dave. You bring up a good point. I will just say that I'm getting the best of both worlds right now. I'm still a teacher, as we saw earlier in the podcast. So I'm still around my students every single day. I'm still coaching high school football right now. And I do that. So I still get that because I'm not going to coach high school basketball anymore because some things have gotten a little bit crazy and a little bit busy with all of it. I really enjoy this, but I've said this before. I enjoy this. I, I do love podcasting. I love talking Pistons. I love talking NBA draft. But I also love that me and Amari have become, truly become friends. And I've got to know Amari Sankofa Sr. And me and Wes, like it's the relationships that come with it. It's the same idea that you're talking about, Dave. I've also taken that into what I do with the podcasting in the NBA draft. Some of these people are truly some of my best friends. And so I still have that. But no, nothing nothing is better or more rewarding than when you get that text from somebody you coached 10 years ago and they tell you being in your program or being in your class or whatever made a difference somehow in their life or you see them become a parent or you see them get married or you see them like when Malia asked that question earlier, I just I let my mind. I was like, "Man, how cool would it be if ten years from now Malia is doing a podcast on whatever Malia wants?" And maybe this was, you know, part of that inspiration. So I, I would definitely miss that, but I'm still getting a lot of that along with the podcasting and everything else I do, Amari. So I feel like right now I'm I'm eating my cake or getting my cake and eating it too, or whatever the phrase is. And so um, it's it's a pretty good spot to be in.
1: Yeah, because you wake it up at well, I guess it's. <laughs> 6 a.m. for you to do 7 7 38 8, like a.m. 5.
2: I woke up at five so I could get a workout in because if I don't get a workout in before the recording, then I'm not sure I'll be awake and you know ready to go. So, but it's more than worth it, man. Like it's it's incredible. As soon my students make fun of me because they're like, you smile so much on the podcast, you're <laughs> so happy on the podcast, and
1: hey, you're like, are you not happy? But you're at school,
2: so they would say. <laughs> I feel like I have a good relationship with my students and I I okay. try to be like cool. Like I'm kind of the old cool, but not cool. Guy. Like I say "bet," and like I try to use their language just to like almost kind of make fun of them. But so I have a good relationship with them. But yeah, they think I'm grumpy all the time. They're like, why are you so mad? Why are you always look like that? So then they watch the podcast and I'm smiling and laughing, enjoying it. And they're like, Mr. Simon, like what? who is this guy? Who Who are you? And so, you know, it's just, it's just different environments, you know, but, um, you know, I remind them all the time. I love them and I love teaching them and it, it's a blast as well, but I love this too. Like I said, I, I get the best of both worlds right now. And because of that, I feel very fortunate.
1: You're around kids 24 seven. So it's probably a little different too. Like you go from school to your kids at home. Like when I flew home from Montreal yesterday, I was, it was a lady sitting across from me with like her, like, the kid was probably like one years old and she was just like crying off-flight. And like, even when she was like happy, she was just like making noise off-flight. Like, you just sort the mind just like completely tapped out. Like, I don't have anything left. Like, it's just time to get home. So I can't relate to just how exhausting it could be to be around kids, but I assume a lot of it is probably that as well. But, you know, like along with that, you know, I don't know how much fortune there is and you know, in covering sports. Like, you know, if you're not Steven there, just like at the very top level, I'm like, you could make a living doing it, but, you know, it's not like I'm living in Girls Point or anything, right? Like, you know, but, you know, you you, you do well enough for yourself. Um, you know, I don't think you can really make it very far in this industry if you're just doing it for the fame. I mean, it takes, you have to be good at your job to even get to any level of having a following to begin with. So that requires a level of dedication, uh, sacrifice. I mean, with any job, right? You know, I don't know if you can really do anything purely for fame, you know, unless you're like a TikTok influencer or something. It's just more so you really have to grind to get here. And, and. Even then, I don't know if it's like fame. I mean, you're doing game theory now, and I'm sure you'll be in some scouting department in a couple of years, Bryce. So, you know, I don't, you know, I don't know about you. You're a, a rising star, man. But I think it really is just the actual love of the job and just the love of basketball. I've never taught, I've never coached at a high level. So, this is a much better question for you. But uh, just the job itself is rewarding. I love waking up, you know, in the morning and, uh, you know, doing this 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 pod. I mean, Bryce and West are my guys, and you know that's really rewarding. Developing relationships with the team and everything else, and then fans as well. Just talking to you guys on Twitter, on like on the pod. I love that, and uh, you know, it's really fun. I'm always having fun doing this. I'm having fun. I was excited to get on the pod today, and you know, tease Bryce about his uh, Chiefs. <laughs> I so. knew it was coming. You know, and it's just, you know, it's just like a lot of fun. So, uh, you know, it's just more so I think the relationships aspect and just the reward of the job and then anything else that comes with it.
2: Yeah, it's crazy. It's very surreal for me because it's like, you know, so I have to remind. I'm doing a podcast with the Pistons Beat Rider. When I first started doing this, I didn't even know if the Pistons Beat Riders would talk to me, you know, respond to a DM. And now you and I record every week and are good friends. And yeah, you're right. I mean, I'll be honest. It was very surreal to record on Game Theory with Sam Bassini. That's that's a podcast yeah. I listen to in my queue and then now he's inviting me on every once in a while to record with him and that's just it's a really cool experience and it's a lot of fun and you're right like as we were talking about that my three four year old he just had a birthday a couple months he walks into the bedroom over here and i'm terrified that he's gonna scream or something while we're recording so i had explained that to my wife like ranny i love our kids i just spent eight hours at school around a hundred seventh and 8th graders where they're always around you, always asking you, you know, they don't always understand personal space. They don't always, you know, like, and sometimes they're immature and all of this stuff. And it's like, I need to come home. And I know it's unfair to our kids, but I got to decompress just for a little bit. And right now I spend another two hours after school coaching high school boys in football. And we know what comes with high school boys and their craziness and attitudes and everything else. So um, I, I love it. But yeah, it's, it's a lot of kids in my life right now. And that's okay, because it, it's good stuff. But I'm, I'm glad to have you back, Amari. It was as much as I love Keith Smith, as much as I love Jack and West because they are the best. It was good to have you back. I'm glad you had a good vacation but it it was good to see you, and we're on the road to 100 episodes, man. This is exciting. We're getting close.
1: Yeah, no, I'm I'm happy to be back. feels good to be back in the flow. Uh, You guys killed the pod while I was gone, which, you know, obviously you had Border City Hoops before we did the pod, so no surprises there. And, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited for the season. I'm excited to get back to recording every week. You know, it seems like the teams out of place where people are really starting to tune in again and kind of wonder what's up. And it's been fun. I was looking forward to waking up this morning and get back on here. Uh, You know, it'll probably be another year before I take some some time off again. So you guys are stuck with me and it'll be fun. it will be fun. I'm excited for camp and I'm excited to get the ball rolling.
2: Awesome episode, Omari. We'll be back next week. I think we're going to do all lineup episode. We did something similar last year. Again, most athletic lineup, Big lineup, small lineup, all that stuff. It'll be a lot of fun. So make sure you guys tune in. We'll record on Sunday, maybe Monday morning. We'll let you guys know. We're trying to kind of avoid Lions game so we can get some live listeners. If you watch this morning, we appreciate you. If you watch later on YouTube, we appreciate you. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever, we appreciate you. Thank you, guys. Amari, take it away, my guy.
1: Oh, Absolutely. Uh, Big thanks to our audio producer, Robin Chan, our executive producer, Azadette Delgado, and our sports editor, Kirkland Crawford. Also, big shout out to West Davenport as always, and we'll talk to you all next week.
0: Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left.